one super busy guy is Wiley Willis of Two Minute Minor, and he's here with the antidote for a chat. Man, thanks for coming and joining us, Wiley. Oh, pleasure. It's all mine. I need to ask this right from the start. Are Chicagoans as hockey-obsessed as Canadians? <laughs> well, I don't know. Canadians are very much into their hockey. It's kind of, uh, they eat breakfast, play hockey, then go to work, right? Pretty well, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, think, I think Canada wins. You at least must be a big hockey fan. I mean, what with having the band name Two Minute Minor? Sure. Uh, it's funny that you said that because one of CeCe's friends just bought me Slapshot the movie for my birthday, and it's sitting right here in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> she just came home and dropped it off and said, hey, look what my friend got you for your birthday. <laughs> okay, then we'll make this really short so you can get right into your movie. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it many times. <laughs> I suppose everybody knows that Flatfoot 56 is from Chicago, but I don't know anything else about the rest of the punk scene in Chicago. What's it like? Hmm, that's an interesting question. I could talk about it for days. I guess I'm fairly new to the uh, music scene in general in Chicago, only about four and a half, five years now. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, so I would say that it's overwhelming in a good way, but I've also noticed that there can be many shows going on in one night, and so that kind of takes away from any one show, if that makes sense. And what happened to Michigan? They threw you out of the state? Of course. <laughs> no, I came uh, here to Chicago to kind of serve the homeless and uh, live at Japuza, the, the commune. I did that for about three years just to kind of see what God wanted for me and to become a minimalist. So that's, that's what I'm doing here. <laughs> well, that certainly fits with being in a punk band because, I mean, what punk band makes any money? There you you have to be a minimalist. That's true. Japuza, I do know it's Jesus People USA. You got to explain yeah. what that does in Chicago. Uh, well, I lived at Japuza, Jesus People USA from 2000 to late 2003, early 2004. And then I left and I went and traveled around. Um, and then I came back uh, to Japuza about four and a half, five years ago. And I lived at Japuza for about three of those years. So altogether, I've been there about six years. And what they do is they're an intentional community of believers. And they own different businesses, but their main goal is to serve the, the poor in uptown Chicago. They run homeless shelters, like food pantry type stuff, free stores for the homeless, like where you donate your clothes and the homeless can get clothes for free and stuff like that trying to give back to the community in a sense you know and it's been there in chicago for how long now oh i think it's been a commune since the 70s but i think it's been at the place that it's at since the 90s now you've already raised this point about the city itself i've read that your city has really quite a social gap between people who live in north chicago and the south side that's very true yes and you see it in this music scene as well. Um, and maybe people who have been in the music scene longer than I have uh, don't see it because maybe they have, I'm sure Flatfoot has connections everywhere, but 
I noticed that as an outsider coming in to the Chicago scene. I noticed that the North Side and the South Side scene, um, they do play shows together. That's for sure. I've played on the South Side and I play with South Side bands. But it seems to be um, secluded in a sense. Why does that happen? Oh, man. I could only be guessing, but I know that the South Side is more of like the working class, um, skinheads, punk rock. And I know that the South Side sees the North Side is kind of more of like the more uppity, like rich part of Chicago, I guess. Speculating again, I don't know. And what about yourself? Where in the city do you live then? I still live in Uptown. I live about a 10-minute walk from Japuza, and I still visit often. Earlier on, I brought up about how busy you are. I really can't imagine how you do all of this, because we're here to talk about Two Minute Minor, but you also front the punk band, October Bird of Death, and The Blamed. How do you manage? (laughs) Well, that's an appropriate question. Um, I actually recently stepped down from The Blamed. Um, I made a statement on Facebook about it. It was, it was kind of a decision that I had been thinking about and praying about and talking to DC about and my close friends. It was a hard decision to make, but I decided that it's a decision that I didn't need to make because of time wise. Um, and I kind of had to make a decision on what was truly important in my life and what I needed to focus on. And so I chose to go with Two Minute Minor and October Bird of Death, just so I could have more time for other things that were important. This leaves me wondering if date with you and Cece actually means that the only way she can see you is by coming to one of your shows. <laughs> um, no, I mean, we, we make time for each other, but that most definitely was a factor. Um, I was most definitely putting a lot of time into music and I had to kind of reevaluate my life and and see what was important because music is my passion and I love it, but there's other things in my life that I love and care about too. And I needed to give equal time to those things. And the blame was a no brainer to step down because it wasn't something that I started. Uh, It was something that I was asked to join as they were coming back as a band. And Another reason why why it wasn't that hard to step down from it was that when we started the new Blame project, um, I sat down with Jim and Brian, and I kind of said, hey, I'd be interested in doing this as long as it's like this old school punk feel, you know, more just driven, heavy, and we all agreed on it. And the more we kind of started writing and reflushing out songs and reworking songs, uh, I kind of got to a point where... It really wasn't for me personally. I'm not saying it's not good because those dudes are super talented and they're professionals at what they do and they're great at making music. It just wasn't my vision, what I thought, but it also isn't my band. So I didn't really have a say in that sense. So it was just, it was easier for me to say, hey guys, you know, I have to step down because of time restrictions in my life and I have to step down because this isn't really something that. I can really get behind personally, but I'm still going to buy the album and listen to it. So, you know, we're still friends. Sometimes, as you say, there's time constraints and sometimes it's like, who do you feel the closest allegiance to? Right. Well, you've brought up about the blamed October Bird of Death and Two Minute Minor. 
So then, over the years, how many bands have you been involved with? Oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm going to tax your memory, man. <laughs> oh. You know, one of my friends asked me that question. He's like, we should try to figure out what bands you've done. And I, I know I came up with 18 albums that I've done. But I mean, some of those bands put out, you know, two or three albums. All I can say is a lot. Because I'm normally in two or three bands at a time. And this is a season of my life where I've slowed down a little bit. Because when I lived in Michigan, I stopped doing tours and weekend shows and stuff like that in 2010. Because it was just taking a toll on me. And after that, I was in like three or four bands at a time. Uh, playing, you know, around surrounding areas. So I'd be playing shows three, four times a week. <laughs> so... In different projects, I'd be playing drums in like two bands and singing in two bands. And that was crazy. Like coming to Chicago, I took a year off from doing music. I gave it up to God because like I found my identity in music 100%. And once I told myself that and was real with myself about it and actually gave it up to the Lord and took a year off, which was extremely hard for me, he really blessed me the music that I wanted to do and the desires of my heart. So that was really cool. But bands have just always been my life. So I've always been in them and I've always just flooded myself with different bands. I don't understand. How did taking that year off from music help that out? I would say because I made music my identity and who I was and I, I didn't really know who I was anymore. Like I, I felt like I just had to give it up to God fully because I moved to Chicago to find out what God wanted for me and to kind of uh, get away from all these distractions in life. And so I found myself being in the word more and taking walks every single day and getting more in tune with nature and more in tune with myself. Um, and I, I missed music greatly, but I told God I'd give it a year. I told myself I'd give it a year off. So I did. And I think it really helped me grow. And it really helped me put perspective on what I really wanted to do with music. Isn't that true of guys in general, that we tend to identify ourselves with our work instead of where maybe this is getting sexist, saying women that define themselves more by their relationships? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Are you going to have to ask Cece about that one? Yeah, I'll have to ask her about that one, what she thinks. Because <laughs> she's a workaholic. She works uh, seven days a week. So That's brutal. It is brutal. Okay, so that was your history. What about giving us the story of how Two Minute Minor came to be? Well, when I moved to Chicago, after a year of giving up music, I was working out in our church's gym. And I know Darren told this story on the October to Death episode. And I saw Darren in the gym, and I, I knew him from when I lived at Japuza the first time in early 2000. And I knew who he was and what band he was in. I knew he was in Valley Dows. And I knew he was a, a cool guy and a talented guy. And so he was working out with his son. I was either working out by myself or I had a, a workout partner at the time. I don't remember. But him and I kept going to the gym so much that his son stopped going and my workout partner stopped going, um, that he's like, Hey, you want to be my spotter? Like, you just want to work out together? You know, 
my boy doesn't show up anymore and your workout partner seems to not show up. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so we started working out together and I kept asking, dude, we should do music together. And he didn't really know me that well. So he's like, no, I don't think so. You know, Ballet Dolls, I'll never get in a band better than that. Like, I don't have any passion for it anymore. That was my band and I'd rather keep it that way. You know, remember music like that. So I kept asking him, but he noticed that I kept showing up to work out and that I was constant and I was always there. And I think he realized, hey, maybe this guy would do that with his music too. And so finally, after like nine months to a year of asking him, he finally said yes one time. And I was like, really? Okay, cool. <laughs> so we got together and he asked me what kind of music I wanted to do. And I originally wanted to be a street punk oi band. But he's like, okay, cool. So we started a band with some guys around the house at Jesus People. And it didn't really end up working out because these other guys wanted to do more heavier stuff. So basically half the band separated and became this other band called Anti-World System. Oh, yes, I know them. And um, then the other band separated and became uh, October Bird of Death. So we got Brian Gray, and he was our original guitar player. Um, after it separated, because Mike went and played guitar and started Anti-World System. He did that with Rob. So Rob, the drummer, and Mike went and did Anti-World System, and then myself, Darren, and the drummer at the time was uh, Max Davis. He played in Head Noise, and he played in Scurvies. Oh, sure. He was our drummer for a little while, and then Brian Gray, he ended up playing guitar for us. But he's like, okay, so what kind of style are you guys? And we're like, well, we wanted to do Oi. And he's like, no, I don't really know what that is, so let's just be a punk fan. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> so I was like, well, let's do, you know, like old school style punk, because that's what I'm really into. And he's like, well, I, why don't we just play what we play, whatever comes out, comes out. And I was like, okay, cool. So we started playing and, and jamming together. And we had a bunch of different lineup changes before we even had our first show or name. And, you know, Brian had to step down and we got Sid from Head Noise, who's in the band now. And when Sid joined, he kind of had an idea of what he wanted later on in the band. And he's kind of like the leader of that band musically. Like he kind of takes it over and um, does most of the writing. I mean, we all have a say, but he, you know, leads it. And they wanted to go more of like a progressive punk, but with old school elements. And our new stuff is even more progressive, less old school elements. And I think we kind of butted heads a little bit. Half the band wanted different things, so we had to sit down and and they're like, look, you know, we're really into this progressive thing, but, you know, we like old school punk too. So let's mix the styles a little bit. But this new album that we're working on, it's a little bit more progressive. Um, so in that time before that, I was like, man, I really wanted to be in a hardcore punk band with like oi elements. You know, I really wanted to do that whole oi thing. Sure. So I started Two Minute Minor six months after Octobird got its name and became a real band because I realized I wasn't going to get my way. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, well, I got to compromise. You know, these I've known a lot of these guys for like 15 years and my brothers in Christ. Uh, I'll just start my own thing. And so that's what I did. And now we're here talking about it. <laughs> now, I've also heard Two Minute Minor being described as posi hardcore. Is that as yeah. straightforward as it sounds? Positive hardcore, yeah. I'd say so. Why particularly focus on that? Um, that's a really good question. 
I actually really wanted to do a positive hardcore band. The band and I kind of talked about this today, actually. Um, I've always, in my previous bands and in my, I would say, previous life before being saved, I was a very negative person drawn to a lot of dark imagery. And I still am, actually. And I, I focus on the negative a lot. But I really wanted to do a positive band so I, it would kind of draw me out of that. So I could try to be more positive myself and try to give not just about me but try to give positivity back to people because I felt like so much of my life I took positivity from the world from people being so negative and really without God without walking hand in hand with him I'm a terrible person like <laughs> very negative person so I just felt a calling to do something positive and to kind of have it be my identity like to stay positive to, to have that sort of identity. And it's, it's helped me. I mean, I still struggle. Isn't that true of most artists, though? The music that they're putting out is really a reflection of their inner self. Yeah, I totally agree. You've mentioned about your Christian faith. You never considered labeling yourselves as Christian punk. Um, see, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem if people call it a Christian band. I post our band in Christian sites all the time, actually. I don't really care what people call us because I am a Christian. Mike's a Christian in the band. Our drummer is a Christian. I mean, there's six of us now. We got our old guitar player back. Uh, Mike's out on knee surgery, so our old guitar player is stepping in. But we decided to keep all six, give that a shot. Um, so half of us are Christian, half of us aren't. Half of us are skinheads, half of us aren't. Half of us are straight edge, some of us aren't. All that stuff labels to us. We don't care. I love the Lord. I follow the Lord. My uh, lyrics reflect it. So if people want to call us a Christian band, I'm cool with it. If they want to call us a skinhead band, I'm cool with it. If they want to, whatever they want to call us, it's up to them. Just please, please call us <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to play your venue. Yeah, there you go. And you must only play the biggest clubs because with six guys, you need a big stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've technically only played one show with all six of us so far because Mike has been out from his knee surgery for about two months now. Um, and we, we separated ways with Bob. Bob and I are OGs. He started the band with me. Um, him and I are the only original ones left. And we kind of were disagreeing a little bit on things that have to do with faith as well. Um, he's a known Buddhist. I mean, if we're getting real, he just didn't like that I was pushing the Christianity as much. And it kind of caused a, a rift between us and we butt heads. And we're, we're both very similar people, we realize. So he's passionate about what he believes and I'm passionate about what I believe in. But I, I had to tell him, I said, you know, after, after I let him go, and he ended up coming back. I was like, I want this to work because I think you're a great person. You just know that this, this band's my ministry. You know, I started it to build relationships with people. Um, and I'm just going to be honest about who I am. And I'm a Christian. And I love the Lord. And I respect you for what you believe. I do. But it's not what I believe. And I'm going to be vocal about what I believe. And if you get interviewed or you talk to people, you can be vocal about what you believe, you know? So it was just easier to split ways. Yeah, but we gave each other a second chance. He came back. We asked him to come back. He came back because we let him go before we recorded the second album. 
And we were, sh- we were showing Mike all the parts on this second album that's coming out uh, May 11th. And Mike was going to go in and record. And Bob got a hold of us and he was like, look, I helped write all these songs, which he did. He helped write every single song. And he said, I would really like it if I could record on this album because I put all the effort into writing it. And I thought, yeah, why wouldn't we let him do that? You know, I didn't even think about that. Like, we said, yes, please come record this album with us, and then Mike will take over and we'll split ways. And he said, okay, that's cool. So he went and recorded the album with us in Michigan, um, where I lived for 10 years, Kalamazoo, Michigan, with uh, one of my really good friends, Jeff Hosteller, who I've been in two or three different bands with, recorded us. I know he's got an act for recording and I like his ear and he's an excellent guitar player and knows music really well and knows me really well because I've done vocals for like two or three different bands that we've been in and so he knows what I'm looking for. And during the recording process, we rejoined with Bob and we're like, man, we miss this guy. We actually love this guy. (laughs) He's our brother. He's our brother. He's our friend. He's our bandmate. So we sat down and talked with them and just to see, hey, can we work this stuff out? Can we not let our differences get in the way? Can we push through this? Can we push forward? And we, as a band, and him and I agreed, yeah, let's push through this. Let's try it as a six piece. And so we did. And we thought it was going to be super sloppy. And it was super huge sounding. <laughs> so <laughs> that was cool. You know, what's funny is here we are, we we're having this long talk, and we haven't even spoken about your songs. True. <laughs> Okay, so before we get into the new two-minute minor release, how about we go back to last year's debut for the band, A Goon's Best Friend. The album opens with this killer track, Change My Life. See, that song reflects the changes in my life. That's why I wrote it. I would say the first album's more inward. I wrote that song about giving my life back to Christ and becoming sober. I think those two things had to go hand in hand because I I tried to quit drinking so many times on my own and it just didn't work. And when I gave my life to the Lord and finally said, hey, just please take this poison away from me. Make me free of it. He did. And it wasn't hard to quit, to be honest. And it really helped moving into uh, Jesus People, which is a dry community. That helped me to be around people to help me as well. So that song is about becoming sober, becoming straight-edge, giving my life to the Lord and to the straight-edge community. A lot of people may not know what straight-edge means. Do you want to explain? So straight-edge is kind of like a community, like a group of people who they don't drink, they don't smoke, and they don't do drugs, and they're into the hardcore music. It started in the 80s with Minor Threat. Um, It's been a a moving process throughout the years, coming back more nowadays. I know it had more of a militant, uh, kind of a bad name for itself in the 90s with a lot of violent crews, but it's kind of chilled out a little bit now, which I think is good. But Straight Edge to me is another commitment to me not to go back to that lifestyle, not to let down myself in that community also. It's like another support system. Well, we started off here talking about the opening track from that album. (laughs) What about we go to the final track of A Goon's Best Friend, where the band calls yourself The Goon Crew. What's the song all about? 
Uh, well, that song is all about giving respect and gratitude to the old schoolers, the OGs, to the to the slap shot, to War Zone, to Minor Threat, to the Black Flag, to the bands that kind of led the path to start that hardcore punk sound. And it's also about knowing that we're giving gratitude and respect to that, but you also have to pass the torch. You have to give it to the youth. The youth has to carry that on, otherwise it dies. So we can't be a scene that's divided in the sense where, oh, well, these people are old school. You know, I'm new school, which means 90s hardcore. And then these people are, you know, whatever, even newer school, I guess, hardcore. And it just seems like there's, there's a lot of separation. So that's what I was kind of saying. Let's all join together, no matter what schools you call yourself. We're all just people, you know. And the goon crew is just a reference to, to hockey, to being a goon, to being an enforcer. And we kind of adapted the anti-racist goon crew as just like, like our crew. It's just for the underdogs. It's for the people who, who want a voice and who want to be anti-racist warriors. Well, we've brought up the same point a couple times about the hockey who was it to take on the hockey theme for the band? Uh, that was me. It's all your fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. Because <laughs> I played ho- hockey growing up in uh, Iron Mountain, Michigan. My whole life. Hockey fan. So now we've covered the past. I mean, it sounds funny to say covering the past. It was one <laughs> year ago with the album. Right. The new album from Two Minute Minor, Blood on Our Front Stoop, as you said, releases May 11th. From what I've heard, it looks like you're giving the album a theme. Yeah. So the first album was more inward. This album's more outward. So this album's more about our community here in Chicago after being here for more years. Because, you know, you said the first album was a year ago. Mm-hmm. That's when we released it. But we had been working on the album for almost two years, and we had been working on ourselves as a band. And so being in this community longer... I've gotten to know the community and lived here and gotten to know the ins and outs of it. So this album is more about our community and the violence in our community, uh, the problems with homelessness and how it's treated as a crime, and we don't think that's right. It's, it's about a lot of different things in our community, and the album cover itself, Blood in Our Front Stoop, is, is taken from a true incident that happened with our guitar player, Virgil. He was traveling, and there was a shooting on his front porch on his front stoop and someone got shot and bled all over the place so his wife called the cops and the cops came and they kind of just played it off a little bit and they ended up leaving the blood there and she had to scrub it up at like five in the morning so her kids didn't see it when they got up for school and he went to you know these town hall meetings and, and talked to them about it and brought it up and they apologized to him for doing that and so that's kind of where the album cover comes from Wow, because it is. It's so discouraging. It's funny because, as you said, your music's positive, mm-hmm. but you also get that negativity coming through because of the, well, I guess the negative situations that happen in the city. Sure. When we made that album, that's one thing we said. We're like, huh, this is pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 I had the idea of the album cover in my head, and I presented it to the band as a whole. I did a mock-up. Like, I did a mock-up of the front cover in the, in the back cover and the inside and stuff and showed it to everybody in the band. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this is really cool. And then we hired our artist Jonas to do it. And 
when we got it back, I was like, this is perfect. And everyone else was like, this is kind of dark. <laughs> this is pretty dark. <laughs> I, there was more blood on the, like the porch was like covered in blood. And they're like, why don't we dial it back on the blood a little bit? I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably a good idea. But it is, it is dark, man. It's a dark, it is dark in Chicago. Um, it's tough. Like, Cece's really in tune with the Lord, and she even says she feels a void of God in the city sometimes because it's such a go, go, go city that it's hard to stop and really think about what's important sometimes. And there's been shootings on our block many times. You know, I walk to the train station, and there's shootings by that train station that I walk that's like five minutes from my house all the time. And actually, we, where we work out at our church, a guy got shot named Bobby Kraft and ended up dying. One of my really good friends that I was in the band with, Eric Clayton, actually held his hand as he passed away. And Eric wrote these lyrics, uh, this poem actually, pretty in-depth poem of how he felt about it. And he just didn't know what to do with the poem. And I said, could I take this poem and make it into some song lyrics? And he's like, I would love that. That would be an honor. And I actually wrote it for a blame song. But now that I'm not doing the blame, I, I took it back and I rewrote it a little bit, and I'm going to be using it for, uh, and I'm going to be using it for a split that we're doing with Crosscheck, and so that whole album is kind of about those things, about the violence in our city. A little bit earlier, we were talking about goons, and that also comes up again on the song Probert, and so do Nazis. Maybe you got to explain the context of the song. Okay. Uh, well, Bob Probert was legendary hockey player, an enforcer, and a goon, some would say. <laughs> an, an enforcer, definitely. I know that some hockey players take offense to the term goon, but come on. Bob Probert played for the Detroit Red Wings and then later played for the Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks, which is perfect because the bass player in Two Minute Minor and I were both from Michigan. We both grew up watching the Red Wings. And then, you know, we later moved to this city, Chicago. So it's like, wow, this is perfect. Bob Probert kind of encaptures and cases who we are <laughs> and moving around, you know. He's a hockey player. He's a goon. He's from Michigan. And he moves to Chicago. That's perfect. Um, so basically that song, it's kind of weird. I know you hear it on social media and stuff like that, like people punching Nazis and all this stuff. And... It's a tough song because I posted the lyrics up on uh, my social media page and some people were super into it and understood what it meant and other people took offense to it. Like as a Christian, how can you say that punching people is good? Isn't that promoting hatred in a way? And I said, yeah, if you take the song like that, it's meant to be more of a lighthearted song with a serious problem that we have now in America where it seems like hatred is just pouring out of the cracks and so it was kind of a call to that and trying to be lighthearted at the same time in the sense that i wish bob probert was still alive so we could punch nazis side by side proud boys taking off for perry shirts the enforcer and i would punch them till it hurts knocking out the kkk number 24 is the hero of the day you know <laughs> to me what i said was do i think violence is the answer no i do not I don't think violence is the answer. I think it's necessary sometimes, unfortunately. I don't think it's the first, second, or third choice. And I don't think killing anybody is ever a good thing. But I do think that there has been times where 
people need to get smacked actually and be like, look, what you're doing, maybe not even physically, maybe verbally, but look, what you're doing is wrong. It needs to be stopped. And that's kind of what that song's about. That song brings in an interesting point about Two Minute Minor, because your music has this aggression, but it also brings in positive messages. Mm -hmm. Do the two really mesh? The aggression and the positive message? Yeah. I would say so, because I think one of the reasons I got into hardcore uh, was because of the aggression, because it's a positive way to release anger in a sense. As long as you're not releasing anger onto somebody else. Hardcore is a very tight-knit community. It's about unity. It's about uh, respect. And it's about family, to be honest. If you go to hardcore shows, it's one of the most uh, unified shows I've ever been to. Um, Yes, there is aggression and there is people flailing around. That is true. Um, But there's a lot of respect there. You, You get knocked down, they help you back up, you know. So I think they do go hand in hand, to be honest. You guys don't cover all tough topics on Blood on Our Front Stoop because you also have a song called Soda Tax. And I mean, (laughs) a tax on soda, like seriously? Yeah, so Cook County here in Chicago, they put a tax on soda. It was called the Sweetened Beverage Tax. They were calling it Soda Tax in the papers and online. Um but it's actually called the sweetened beverage tax. Walgreens and a lot of other places accidentally put LaCroix in that. So this is supposed to be for people who drink sugary drinks, almost like a cigarette tax or a a beer and wine tax, liquor tax, you know. So they're trying to cut people down from drinking sugary bad drinks. And they put LaCroix in that on accident. And because LaCroix doesn't have any sugar, it doesn't have any sweetener, it's just sparkling water. And so people were going crazy. They're like, what in the world? You tax LaCroix? <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of made this short music video for it. It was kind of our response to Cook County taxing LaCroix. So that's why we did that song. I'm glad you explained about LaCroix because I was thinking that this was simply your corporate sponsor, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and this was your infomercial. No, they actually reached out to us and they said, thank you so much for for having our backs and for being loyal customers. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about infomercials, I'm going to sound like one right now, but I want to bring this up. Two Minute Minor gave away the download of your debut release, A Goon's Best Friend. For Blood on Our Front Stoop, the band went all out. I mean, for $20 pre-orders, you guys included the album on vinyl, a CD, a cassette, a t-shirt, a badge, and a patch. 20 bucks. You guys are nuts. <laughs> you can't do that. You can't make any money. <laughs> well, you're very correct. <laughs> <laughs> but like I said, we are very DIY. We, I work at a print shop, so we print our own t-shirt. And I print them on, uh, with my boss, Darren, who's also in October of Death. Um, we do all of our band t-shirts and he helps me because he's such a nice guy with two minute minor t-shirts on our own time. So it doesn't cut into company work. We will come in on a weekend and print them. Um, Zach, our drummer owns this company called DVD tapes and he makes tapes for bands, uh, at a really good cost, really cheap because they're DIY. And so 
he makes all of our tapes and we can sell them for three bucks a piece. CDs, we do a 16 page booklet and we hand make those booklets ourselves. And all we do is we actually send out to get the CDs made. And so that's really cheap. It costs us like a dollar a CD. Vinyl is the expensive part, but we make our own inserts in our own cases, but we still have to get the vinyl made and that's around like $800, $900. That's a really expensive part, but everything else we basically do ourselves. We print the patches ourselves as well. I don't think anybody's going to be able to surpass that DIY that <laughs> two minute miners doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we are DIY, but we're still all about quality. We've never once, and we've sold a lot of stuff. We had to reprint our, first album because we sold out of our album and we've never had anybody complain about the price or the quality of anything they always said both things were good we've gotten into some of the fun stuff there on blood on our front stoop back to serious topics you've got the song tent city is homelessness a major issue in chicago yes it's a major issue and it's basically illegal to be homeless and to feed the homeless Oh, my. Our church would go and and feed the homeless down at Tent City. I would go with my buddy Ben. We walked down there two, three times a week, and we would bring them coffee. We'd bring them sandwiches, um, and we would just go and talk to them. Really, the talking is what people want more, the the human interaction, because people in Chicago, even if you're not homeless, they won't look you in the eye. They won't say anything to you. And if you're homeless, you're just a plague. You're a, a disease. To most people, not all. So people just really want that human connection. And when we go and talk to them, that seems to be what they want the most out of anything, out of money even. They want human interaction. And so Tent City is about that. This guy named Jay, uh, who's from Jafusa, started this thing called uh, Uptown Tent City. And what he did was he would get donations and he'd buy tents for the homeless. So we would, you know, get tents for the homeless get food for them and he started printing shirts through us so we said hey we're going to print you these tent city shirts for free um that's going to be our donation to you and you can whatever you make from it buy tents with it and so that's what he did that's how it started so we had a real heart for tent city and recently they tore it down and told the homeless that they couldn't be there it was it was under this bridge and they told the homeless they couldn't be there anymore and they completely gutted it and turned it into bike path. You can't even put tents under there anymore. We tried doing other things. Tent City tried helping the homeless, and they just couldn't find them a spot. You know, we almost got fined for feeding the homeless. It's a disaster. And the homeless are getting fined for not having IDs and for sleeping in the park. So it's like they're just building up all these fines and fees because they don't have a home. But they're homeless. So it doesn't make sense to me. That just seems so bizarre because they're not yeah. giving any solution to it. I know. How angry do you get about that? Uh, well, we did an interview with a uh, local podcast called Frisky Morris Sessions. And it actually, on that podcast we were talking about, it actually kind of brought me to tears. I tried to hold it back, but I couldn't. So I'm actually very passionate about it. I try not to get too much into detail on radio shows now because I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to repeat that but <laughs> it's just I don't know I mean I've I've squatted 
before and I have friends who are homeless and to, the whole idea that you're less of a person if you don't have a home is ridiculous to me and that we treat these people differently. Jesus was homeless. Come on. His ministry was for everybody. It was for the homeless. It was for rich. It was for everybody. I just don't understand people's mentalities on how we treat the poor and people that are less fortunate. It doesn't make sense to me. What kind of an impact do you think Two Minute Minor and Blood on Our Front Stoop is going to make? Is the city all of a sudden just brighten up and say, you know what? Yeah, we need to take care of these situations. No, of course not. I mean, I, I mean, I know what you're getting at, but no, it's not going to do that. Um, but I think punk rock in any sort of music, you put your your feelings out there. You put how you feel, you put your life, you put your passion in your music, and you hope that it reaches someone and that they understand what you're saying and it connects with them and maybe it helps one person. Maybe someone listens to it and they're like, holy cow, they read the lyrics and they're like, this is how the homeless are being treated. They're kicking them out to build bike lanes or just maybe it, they hear the passion in our voices and they, or they see us at a show and they see how passionate we are and it changes one person's mind to just do something for other people. Even if it's not homeless people, just be kind to someone. That's what I care about. I don't make this music to change the world. You know, I make this music to, to, to be my passion, and hopefully it changes someone's heart. In return, maybe that person changes someone else's heart. I don't know. Two Minute Miners' Blood on the Front Stoop comes out May 11th. Where are they going to be able to find it, Wiley? Um, that will be on our band camp. Right now, you can buy it for a dollar. You get all 13 tracks. Um, for a pre-order and you get a hidden track if you buy it for a dollar but then when it comes out it'll be free (laughs) (laughs) the the only reason we put a dollar up is because it wouldn't let us put up a pre-order without any money on it so so that's my little secret wait until it comes out and you'll get it for free but if you want a physical copy if you want a vinyl if you want a cd or a cassette tape or any of the new t-shirts you could help support us uh, by going to our big cartel, that's Two Minute Minor Big Cartel. That helps us out a lot. That helps us keep putting music out. Thanks so much for coming to the Antidote, Wiley. This has been great. Oh man, I've wanted to do it for a while, so thank you. <laughs>